0: Welcome to the Agents of Innovation Podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello, and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation Podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I want to thank you for joining us here on Episode 91. Well, today I have a real privilege of interviewing someone who I have admired from afar for the last two years or so, and that is Dan Weinberg. Dan is the host of the New Travel YouTube channel. Uh, You could find that. Just go to YouTube, type in the New Travel, and you'll see Dan and all of his videos. He's had over 15 million views of his videos over the last five years or so. He also has 149,000 subscribers. We're going to get into all of this with him. Uh, we're going to talk to him about travel. and We're going to talk to him about travel pre-COVID, travel post-COVID. And we're going to talk to him about how he gained so much attention on YouTube. Uh, for me, it was his authenticity and maybe his consistency uh, in, in following him. But uh, we're going to get into all these questions with Dan in just a few moments. Uh, but you know, this is really one of the privileges of having a podcast is uh, you sometimes just follow somebody on YouTube or or maybe a podcast or something, or maybe you see somebody on the news and you never get a chance to meet them or have a conversation with them. And well, I reached out to Dan by email uh, probably four or five months ago and let him know about the Agents of Innovation podcast, uh, the fact that I was a fan of, of his uh, travel channel. Uh, the new travel. And also, I think it's just an interesting time to talk about travel. Uh, we were deep into the pandemic and um, and now hopefully, you know, we're going to be turning the corner soon. I know a lot of people are getting their vaccines and, um, and maybe getting excited about being more comfortable. Uh, to travel again, and and hopefully countries and places are, are opening up. I know Canada, where Dan is at, is still pretty locked down. He he's he's from Canada, uh, lives in Montreal now, and uh, we're gonna hear a little bit more about his story. And one thing I really just enjoy on this podcast uh, is is the opportunity to bring you people's stories, people's journeys. Everybody has a story, and um, you know I, I I bring you I think some fascinating ones, and I'm just privileged. To be the host, to be sort of the person in the conversation, uh, and I, and as I tell Dan here on this on this interview, if if I'm the only one listening, it's still a, a great privilege for me to uh, to hear and interact and engage with with people like him who are doing just some really innovative things. Obviously, you know the internet and YouTube and everything that's going on there uh, is just fascinating in and of itself. The fact that people like Dan have been able to make a living. Off of creating videos on YouTube, and some people are making quite a good living. I know for Dan, for the past year, it's been very, very difficult um, in the travel industry that he's in, not being able to really make new videos or monetize things uh, quite as much. But we're going to hear all these stories coming up very soon. Also, at the end of this episode, you're going to hear a song by a band called The Curries. Now, way back, gosh, probably almost four years ago, we had The Curries on. Episode 21, and we're gonna hear a song from them here called "Guess You're Going." And I thought the title was uh, was was fun uh, for this podcast. And so, for those of us that like to travel, uh, we like to be going places. And uh, since the pandemic is uh, maybe turning the corner here soon, um, I guess I guess you're going. I guess you're going somewhere. I know Dan's gonna be going somewhere soon once Canada opens up. And uh, and I actually went somewhere. I'm actually uh, recorded this interview from uh, from Guatemala City. Um, I'm actually living here in Guatemala um, for the next you know eight or nine months, and I, I plan to be here basically for the rest of 2021. I'm teaching some classes at the Universidad Francisco American, uh some classes on entrepreneurship and innovation. And uh, really enjoying my time, just just getting here in the last two weeks from when you're when we're recording this. But uh, I'm on the campus here at the University of San Francisco American recording this, and it gave me a, a great little place here to uh, to do the podcast from today. And you'll for those of you that might watch some clips on YouTube, uh, and yes, you need to go to YouTube and also subscribe to Agents of Innovation on YouTube uh, because we put lots of clips from from different people, different episodes we've had. They're very thematic, so we hope you get something out of each one and uh, then they're short they're not as long as this interview this is actually going to be the one of the longest interviews you're ever going to hear but i think part of it was just the great conversation that dan and i were having and um i could actually have talked to him for a lot lot longer uh believe it or not i have a lot of questions that i didn't get to but but we had some really really fun conversations and he even turned uh, the table's on me a little bit and ask me some questions about why I'm doing what I'm doing. So you're going to hear uh, a little more insight about that and why I came here to Guatemala uh, to uh, to not only teach, but to, to launch a community that hopefully you will uh, soon want to be a part of, a community for aspiring and ascending entrepreneurs. And we'll have some more information on that in the coming weeks. But for now, I hope you are subscribed to this podcast. And I hope you do enjoy Listening to the Currys, they were originally, like I said, on episode 21, and you know I'm actually recording this today. Uh, um, let, let's just say it's the second week of March, and exactly a year ago, the second week of March, it was a Friday, March 13th, and the Currys, who actually split time in Northern Florida and Virginia, had actually come down to Central Florida to uh, to to play at. Um, Will Fest, where they were being honored with an award for the best new Florida song. And uh, I kept texting them all week. Are, are, is this still happening? Because things are, things are shutting down and things are being canceled. And they said, it's still happening. If it's still happening, we're coming down. We got an award to accept. So I actually had to drive about an hour and 15 minutes over to... Um, I think it was in Brooksville, uh, uh, Florida, which is about an hour and 15 minutes or so from uh, Orlando to see the Curry's and And they played a fantastic show. And, uh, but there was this weird, weird sense. And I remember, uh, driving back to my place at night by myself after, you know, hearing them and actually doing a little dinner with them. Um, we had some great Southern barbecue and just thinking, wow, I feel like, I feel like something apocalyptic is happening and this might, this might be it for a while. And, and it was my last live concert experience for, for quite some time. So, um, uh, I thought, hey, why not? It's been a year anniversary since I saw the Currys live. They've been out playing a few live shows here and there, but do, still doing a lot of virtual things. Um, why not have them uh, be honored uh, on this podcast by, at the end of this episode? Uh, so anyway, thank you for for listening. Uh, thanks to those who support the podcast on Patreon. You know, if you are not subscribed to this podcast, you should just, whatever, whatever app you're listening on, you know, we're now on Spotify, but we're also on Apple Music and Google Podcasts and Stitcher and... SoundCloud, and all these all these uh, podcast apps that are out there and uh, just subscribe and you'll be I'd like to say you'll be the first alerted but you'll actually be the second alerted because uh, those of us who support those of you who support uh, this podcast on patreon actually get the very first alerts the first access to all new episodes at least 24 hours in advance of the rest of the world and so uh, you can go to patreon.com uh, forward slash Agents of Innovation, and you can subscribe for as little as five dollars a month. And uh, we really appreciate every level of support because you know crowdfunding really does help support this great creative uh, stuff that we do here on podcasts. So uh, I really appreciate it. And I do want to give some shout outs to a few people. First of all, uh, our sponsors, uh, Frank and Jerry Gonzalez—that's mom and dad. Thank you for for being sponsors of the podcast. Also, want to thank some new Patreon supporters, Aaron Brown. Um, and also Eric Wind. And Eric, as you know, was a, was a guest on one of our previous podcasts. He's a vintage watch dealer uh, based in Palm Beach. And I got to see Eric a, a couple times in the last few months, actually. So it was, not, it was nice catching up with him and, and seeing him support this podcast now as well. Um, also want to support people like or thank people like George Lang and David Healy and Phil Ledbetter and Chris Cox and Tyler Houston. Uh, thank you so much for being consistent supporters of the Agents of Innovation podcast on Patreon. And if you want your shout out on the next episode, uh, please do consider your support there. And without any further ado, we are going to get to this amazing interview. I'm sorry it's a little long. You might have to listen to it in a couple segments. But if you're like me, you just want to hear more and more from Dan Weiberg. And I didn't want to let him go. So uh, thank you, Dan, for for so much of your time and uh, sharing your thoughts and sharing your journey. because. Everyone's on a journey. Everyone has a story. And we just enjoy bringing those stories to you so that we can each learn from each other's journeys. Whether they're real physical journeys like travel, or whether they're just your personal journey in life, uh, we, we could all learn from each other. And I think that's kind of one of the themes here of what Dan Weinberg is doing on The New Travel. And so without any further ado, let's get to our conversation with Dan Weinberg of The New Travel. Well, Dan Weinberg, uh, welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Francisco. Happy to be here. Happy we
0: could make it happen. Well, it's uh, really exciting for me to, to to have you here. Just let me give you a, a proper introduction to our audience that's listening and maybe watching on some of the video that we'll release here. Uh, Dan Weinberg is from Canada. Uh, he's a traveler, writer, and filmmaker. Uh, currently living in Montreal. Over the past 5 years, his travel videos have been viewed over 15 million times. He also has over 149,000 subscribers. And you can find him on YouTube at The New Travel. Uh, It's a fantastic uh, YouTube site for travel experiences. And uh, listeners here should know that I'm one of those 149,000 subscribers. And uh, I've been following Dan on YouTube, uh, particularly on that New Travel channel, Uh, for about two years. And what's funny, uh, Dan, is I was trying to remember the first travel video I ever watched of you, or how I came across you. And I think I figured it out, which is very ironic considering where I'm sitting at right now. Uh, Back in May of 2019, I actually was visiting a friend who was living in Guatemala. And we were going to Antigua, but also Guatemala City. And I remember just searching for videos on Guatemala City and that's actually how yours came up and I've always found your videos very fascinating because um, they've got a very authentic feel to them and you you know in this particular video I remember you're just walking down the street in Guatemala City sort of showing us what we could be seeing and also that it was like it was safe and it was looked like a normal city and for somebody who had never been here it was great to see and then you just kind of walk and talk and tell stories and I really, really enjoy that. So I'm here. um, I just moved to Guatemala City uh, for probably what will be 9 months. And uh, I'm literally 10 days in as we're recording this. And I'm sitting here at the University Universidad Francisco Meriquin in Guatemala City, where I'm actually teaching some classes on entrepreneurship and innovation. So uh, pretty crazy. And now you're home in Montreal. But anyway, Dan, uh, thanks for all you do. And welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for that great, great introduction. Um, Yeah, Guatemala is an interesting place. And surprisingly, when I made that video, there weren't that many videos about Guatemala City. I think it's still relatively untouched in terms of like tourist destinations. Uh, You would know better than me now that you're there. Maybe it's it's like a, a rising star in a sense, because I do know that places like Antigua get a lot of tourism. But for a long time, the story on Guatemala City was, oh, just get in and get out. Just use it as a route to other destinations. But, you know, as I tried to show, there's actually a lot of really nice things to see. And I only scratched the surface of Guatemala City. So I hope you enjoy your time there. And (laughs) maybe you can make the video that shows people the, the next stage of Guatemala.
0: Yeah, I would love to do that. Actually, what's funny is in my first class that I'm teaching, one of the students in the class, I asked them each, you know, if they... Have done anything entrepreneurial or plan to? And one of them said, "Actually, um, me and some friends just created this new travel site. They're going to be doing videos, and uh, they have an Instagram that's called something like Journeys Guatemala." Nice. And uh, of course, I, I I see the typical stuff on their first Instagram post with you know hiking volcanoes and things like that. Um, but I did, t- and he's funny. He said to me, "He goes, yeah, there's really not a lot. Uh, uh, you know, we talked about you know doing all these YouTubers, all, you know, people like you, vloggers." And He says there's really not a lot for Guatemala, um, and uh, and so, you know, there's there is some opportunities there, especially for locals like himself to showcase what it's like, to, to showcase really this beautiful country.
1: Yeah, and you know, like you said, I, I in my videos, uh, the formula is pretty straightforward. I like to I like to keep it pretty natural. I like to keep it authentic as much as I can. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll get into this later on, but I, I really think that's the superpower of YouTube. It's, it's the ability to get away from the high production value and just kind of embrace the fact that, hey, you're just one person or two people, uh, you know, walking around with a camera and you can show things that the big travel networks don't show. You can just show the real experience. And for someone booking a trip, that's really powerful. Yeah, for
0: sure. You know, what's what's also funny is later that same year in 2019, I also visited Mexico City. Now, I was going with a group of about 12 other friends. One of them really kind of planned most of our trip. It was about a four or five day trip, but I still wanted to kind of see. And sure enough, Dan, uh, your videos came up again. And by this time, I was probably following uh, some of your videos. But I know you spent an extensive amount of time in Mexico City some some years before uh, so, uh, so tell us a little bit about, about that as well, uh, your time in Mexico city.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> you'll have to cut me off if I ramble too much because Mexico city is a place I can, I could talk a lot about, um, sort of like Guatemala. I went there not knowing what to expect too much. I was in Costa Rica before, before Mexico city, uh, <laughs> went there with my girlfriend Nari and we were planning to stop in Mexico city. It was kind of a stopover on the way back to Canada. We, we thought we'd be there maybe for a month, you know, uh, just living the travel life and not really planning too many months ahead. Uh, but next thing you know, one month became two and then two months became six. And then we were extending our visa, which is why we went to Guatemala. We did a, you know, border run to Guatemala and came back for another six months in Mexico. Uh, so, so we loved that city. Um and it's it's i think in the last few years it's really becoming a trending destination i think people have people have had their eyes opened to the fact that mexico city isn't just about the beaches and the resorts and you know working on your tan but there's actually like great historic colonial cities there's obviously an amazing food scene the people are friendly and and really want to help foreigners along on their journey through mexico so I mean, it's got all the good ingredients for a travel destination, and I think, yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know how much like videos like mine have played in, in that. Like I, sometimes people say, like you just did, that they've been helpful in some way, and that you know that that warms my heart because that makes it all worthwhile. Uh, but I, I think it's like it's much bigger than me or any other YouTuber. It's like there's 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 some like global wave that's happening with Mexico right now, and. You know, certain countries go through that. I think Thailand went through that maybe like 10 years ago. Everyone was talking about Thailand and Thailand's still a great place. But for some reason, I think the future is very bright for Mexico.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, being there in Mexico City for the first time, uh, it was definitely a different... I mean, and I think your videos kind of show this a little bit, but I, I thought your one video, maybe you had more than one, but one that I remember... Uh, Where you're walking and you're showing sort of modern Mexico, these huge skyscrapers contrasted with these like old colonial buildings. And it's just like a really cool vibe. And you also mentioned the food scene. Uh, My friend Joe Lindsley, who I have to give a shout out to, he likes to travel and he kind of parks himself in some different countries. He's been in Ukraine, of all places, for the last like year. I I haven't really heard from him if he's Mm -hmm. still there. I think he's there. Uh, But he got when he goes places and he's kind of a writer too. Um, and he just kind of meets people. And so he met all these really cool chefs at these little boutique restaurants in Mexico City. And then we were privileged, uh, as his friends coming there, uh, to just get to enjoy these places that we probably would have never discovered had someone not trotted that path for us uh, ahead of time. But, but yeah, so Mexico City, I don't know, it had a very, you know, you and I have both traveled Europe and. I really felt like, wow, this kind of feels like, a, a like a big European city, um, except it's like yeah. on the move. It's, you know, Europe's kind of dying in some ways. Uh, but, but Mexico is like really, really vibrant.
1: Yeah. There's an energy to Mexico city. It's, 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 it's something that really it's, it's part of the reason I enjoy slow travel. You know, you. You can arrive in a city and if you have two or three days, there's always like a like quick list of things you'll do. Like Mexico City, you'll, you'll go see the cathedral in the center. Maybe you go to, you know, see the pyramid, Teotihuacan. If you have time, you go to the park. You know, there's a few things you do, but it's only when you slow down and you, you give yourself a bit of time that you really get to feel the energy of the city. And... I, I found like all the Mexicans I met, you know, they they call them Chilangos, the people who grew up in Mexico City and Chilangos are just like very, very smart, very knowledgeable of Mexican history, very artistic, very just uh, entrepreneurial to, to, you know, to use a word down your alley. There's, I think, you know, Mexico is a country of entrepreneurs. It's a country of people who work two to two or three different jobs and side hustles and you you just feel that people, yeah, are like working to make a better future for their country, and I'm sure that's happening in Guatemala City as well, though I just didn't have enough time to 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 see that. But it's one of the things that's really fascinating about visiting countries that, um, you know, I'm not going to use the term third world because I don't really like that term, but whatever you want to call it, countries that are still developing to towards a place that, you know, Canada or the United States might be at. Whereas Canadians and Americans were a bit more like, you get to a certain level, then you relax, and then the energy like changes, right? Countries that are still getting to that level, you better watch out because they, they could jump above the level of where we're living at, you know? like Well, you know, it's funny you say that because
0: I feel like uh, being here in Guatemala and also, you know, just experiencing some things in, in other countries like Mexico, Yeah. Uh, you just observe that people are really hardworking, actually. They are hustling. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't want to say that Americans and Canadians are not. I mean, there's plenty of hard workers. But I do feel like there is a more relaxed feeling. There's a more sense of comfort. Um, you know, we've sort of achieved a certain level. And you also have generational uh, wealth, in a sense, in America, and the United States. Um, and granted, still a lot of people, you know, struggling and things like that. But when you compare it to like the large amount of people here. But anyway, people are hustling and you and you really kind of admire it. And 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 I see it a lot in the United States, especially where I, I live in Florida, where you, you know we have a lot of immigrants. My dad was a Cuban immigrant. Um, so you you know, you see like the immigrant communities really um really the hustlers of, of the Yeah, society, immigrant mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Dan, um, I want to get back to a few things you said in a in a in a few minutes, but first, uh, since we're getting here, I wanna you know, and, and you're, you're the big travel vlogger and the big traveler and, you know, we're both big travelers, but boy, I got to try to keep up with you. Um, <laughs> uh, What first sparked your interest in travel?
1: Oh man, that's a hard question because I think like a lot of people, it's always, it's always been in the back of my mind. Like, and, and I think part of that is the family you grow up into. Uh, for context, like my dad worked for Canadian immigration. So uh he i've I've always I grew up in a family where the idea of like immigrants and different cultures and and connecting with different people that was a good thing like i always thought that was a good thing before i even had time to consider that it wasn't some people i think aren't fortunate to c- grow up in that mindset some people grow up in communities where they just see people who are different than them and it's like oh you know they're trying to take our jobs or whatever you know there's that whole and I think that really, like, it might seem different than travel, but I think if your if your mindset is positioned that way, then you're you're not so interested in going to places where people look and speak and act differently than you're used to. Whereas for me, I was always curious. I always wanted to see these places. I I had a a love for that from a very young age. Um, but the big actually, it's it's very interesting because Guatemala, in some sense, was the kickoff. Because when I was in university, I took a summer class. This is many years ago now, over ten years ago, about ten years ago actually. Uh, I had a six-week exchange program to Guatemala, where my where my class we went down there and we were traveling the country and we were studying uh, kind of the socioeconomics of. It was a sociology class, and we were studying the situation in Guatemala, kind of the history of Guatemala, the politics of Guatemala. Uh, We lived on a coffee plantation for a little bit. And it was was a really remarkable trip that opened my eyes to what travel could be like. Um, So Guatemala was a big part of it. And then after university, my first big journey living in another country was when I moved to South Korea. And at this point, uh, I didn't have any job prospects. I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, particularly with my life. I just knew that I wanted to go somewhere different. I wanted to be part of that travel wave. Uh, So I started teaching English. I found a job teaching English uh, that actually was a pretty, it was a pretty great gig because it paid for my flights to South Korea. They gave me a free apartment in South Korea. And then I'm there teaching English to school children um, and getting paid pretty decent money too, because the, the demand for teachers in some parts of Asia is so high at least it was six, seven years ago. I'm, I'm sure it still is. Um, but yeah, teaching English was how I started living in another country and, and how long were you in South Korea? So the, the contract I signed was for a year. I lasted eight and a half months. I almost, I, I, looking back, I probably should have completed it, but, uh, there were prob there were problems with my school. That's a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Long story short, yeah, like do a bit of research if you're taking this path on what school you sign up for because mine was not the greatest. But the experience of living there and the chance to travel and save money was great. So I think for anyone who's starting out and wants to travel, I would just like encourage them to think about travel as maybe living in another country. Because even if you're living somewhere and you're working, It's not like you're, you know, uh, moving from hotel to hotel, but it is still traveling in a sense. Like every day is still new. Like every day for you in Guatemala is a, you know, you might be working on your business, on what your professional duties, but still you're experiencing that travel feeling,
0: right? Yeah, you've got something new to experience every day. I mean, whether it was a couple of days ago, oh, let me try this, you know, a new hamburger, you know, this hamburger place that's a local chain down here. You know, things like that. Just, you know, walking into... The Oakland Mall, you know, okay, it's another mall like anywhere else, but just to see, uh, this is another side of Guatemala City that many people don't necessarily think of when they think of Guatemala. Exactly. But anyway, uh, Dan, so that's great. I mean, uh, in terms of, uh, that was your real first long-term experience living in another country. And it seems like you kind of had... You know you oh that I also think it was really interesting given that <laughs> I'm doing this interview from Guatemala that Guatemala was <laughs> one of the first things that sparked your interest. Uh uh kind of funny coincidence there. But what was um so maybe maybe you've kind of already alluded to this but you obviously became a sort of a, a filmmaker, a travel vlogger. But what what was your travel experience like before uh you started documenting them to the public? So And when I asked that, like, kind of what that was like, and then what the evolution to start, uh, you know, filming these things?
1: Great question. (laughs) You know, I was just thinking before you said that, uh, the Guatemala trip, it almost doesn't seem real. Like, I almost forgot for a moment that that actually was where everything started, because... If I don't film it, if I don't have a <laughs> record on YouTube, it's almost like it doesn't exist. It's not on Instagram. It doesn't. Yeah, exist. there's a handful of countries yeah. I went to way before I was a YouTuber, and I I often forget about them because I can't see the record, and I didn't I didn't take many photos back then either. So I, I, it almost doesn't exist in my mind, which is strange, and which is also I think a great, uh, just as a side note, a great uh, reason to get into YouTube or get into some form of creative expression. Because it does, you know, it, it, it does make a very valuable memory. Like it is, it is great sometimes to go back to a video from three, four years ago and be like, there's that day where I walked through, you know, Guatemala City.
0: Well, you know, it's uh, funny you say that because I like to write and uh, I can go back to, I've been telling, I've told people like, you know, it's funny. I've, I've kind of been a travel writer as a hobby since probably about 2004. I remember my brother and I taking a month trip through Europe. And this was before the smartphones. This was before you could get internet everywhere. And we actually, every day, we went to an internet cafe uh, through all these European cities. And I told family ahead of time, I sent an email. I said, I don't want to send you all an email like every single day, you know, to family and friends. I don't want to be one of those people that loads up your inbox every day. <laughs> but here's the link. And it was like a blogspot.com, you know, yeah. blog. And here's the link. If you want to keep up with us, I'm gonna to try to blog every day. And it was maybe it was just a few paragraphs or some, something. But it's funny, just that little bit I did, I uh, can't believe that was 17 years ago now. Um, I actually look back, I've I've every so often I'll look at those. I've actually, I actually printed out those blog posts. Thank God, because I think they would have been lost uh, somewhere. But, uh, and I go, Oh, I forgot about that one little experience. Right. Yeah. So kind of doc, like I'm a good documenter more in my writing, uh, trying to get a little bit better as you are on on filming and things like that. But I think you're right to that experience. Being able to document helps you remember it.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that we have a similar journey in some sense because I, I come from a writing background as well. And without that, I never would have became a YouTuber. So, to back up a bit, I mentioned I was in university. I was actually, I, I, I studied creative writing, that was my specialty. Uh, That's part of the reason I became an English teacher because uh, <laughs> creative writing doesn't exactly lead to a lot of job opportunities right out of the door. It's like, okay, you can write well. Soak in a million other bloggers. So good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh when I moved to South Korea, I had this passion for writing, but I was a bit burned out from school. So I, I didn't I didn't start a travel blog or anything. And I had this really negative mindset at the time. This was like, you know, 2013, 2014. And I just thought. I saw a bunch of other travel blogs from like English teachers in Asia. And I just thought, oh, it's been done before. Like, what do I have to add to the conversation? Like, I'm just another like guy who doesn't know what he's doing with his life. Like, why should I have a blog? What I would learn a year later when I, was, when I moved to France and I eventually said, okay, now I'm traveling Europe. Now I need a blog. I need to do something. If I want to be a writer, I need to write. What I learned is you develop your unique style and your voice through the act of doing, it's not like at the beginning you you're uh, you have something really unique to say. It's like the process of being a blogger develops you to the next level. So I quickly, through that work ethic, through that process, I quickly, you know, became the writer I wanted to be. In a sense, um, the the issue I had was, well, I I, I never had a really big readership. So it was all. It was always like, it was nowhere near being a job for me. It was always a hobby. Um, you know, my mom, my aunt, a few people in my family seemed to like it, and I had a few diehard readers, which gave me the motivation to continue. Like when you do see the same people coming back who you, who aren't your family members, it's like that's a pretty nice, uh, that's a pretty nice feeling at the beginning. But it was a couple of years later, I guess, twenty fifteen. When I first made a YouTube video and, oh, I can't even recall which one it was, but it was actually, my first videos were to support blog posts because as I learned more, yeah, as I learned more about blogging, people were saying, oh, video can help with the SEO, right? So for people who don't know blogging, SEO, of course, search engine optimization, you want to get your video, you want to get your blogs read, put a video in there, it can help with it. So I, I I was, I was so, <laughs> I was so not thinking about video that I was like, oh, I'll start a, start a YouTube channel to like supplement these blog posts, which no one is even reading. Well, and then the videos quickly started getting more views than the blog posts. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and also the videos were in some sense more fun to make because yeah, in, in, In blogging, I always felt this tension between what I really wanted to write about, you know, I'm a storyteller at heart, and then the search engine side of it, like, oh, I need to do a a post about this, which is a trending topic, or I need to do this, you know, the marketing versus the passion. I, I could never quite find the balance. And then with video, I just started sort of doing whatever I wanted to, and it was getting some attention. So that's when I realized there really is something special about video. And we, we sort of take for granted now in 2021, however prevalent it is. But 2015, 2016, I think there was a shift happening. It was when like Facebook video was first kind of appearing on the feed a lot. Yeah. YouTube was sort of maturing as a platform. People could realize, oh, like you can, you can make a show on YouTube the way you would make a show on TV. It's not just for funny cat videos anymore. Like people are developing real audiences and. And, you know, brands are starting to put money into it too. So in some sense, I was at the right place at the right time. But no, I, I wouldn't even say that because it's, it's, not, it's not even too late today. I think this is still very early days for YouTube. Uh, in many ways, I think YouTube is going to eat up traditional TV and movies, and it's just going to continue to grow and grow and grow. But... Yeah, um, I agree with you. Well, Daniel,
0: when you were... Uh, and sorry, I say Daniel because I heard your mom call you Daniel, but I know you go by Dan. Uh, uh, but uh, she's yeah, I actually, well,
1: she's one of the only people who still calls me Daniel. I, I, I actually you're, I you're in good hear, company if you want to call me that. I too. remember listening
0: to a podcast that you did with your mom, and I could actually hear her voice calling you Daniel right now. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, Dan, uh, when you started, uh, 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 what kind of equipment were you using when you started uh, in in your first videos, and how has that evolved to what
1: you use today? Oh, it was terrible. My My equipment was so bad. I I mean, sometimes I would just use my cell phone, which was a, like a Galaxy S3 or something. It was an awful cell phone for the video quality. The first camera I bought was a GoPro Hero, a silver GoPro Hero 3, which I bought for this hike that I was doing in Norway called the Trolltunga hike. That was one of my first videos hiking with this thing. and it, it's a it's an amazing hike. It takes about eight hours to get up and it, it was like the longest hike of my life. It was this epic journey. and on on the way up after like two hours i I, I dropped a GoPro and and the lens landed right on a rock and I chipped I chipped the lens. Oh no. So this is my first camera, my first hike. I'm like, okay, great start to your video journey, Dan. you just broke your brand, brand new GoPro. <laughs> But amazingly, even though the lens itself was chipped, it still worked. It, it just happened that a little bit of the camera image looked blurry. So some of my very earliest videos, you can see like, I think the left edge of the screen is a bit blurry. And people would leave comments saying like, you need to clean your lens, Dan, you need to clean your... I'm like, no, it's, 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 it's actually chipped. I can't clean it. <laughs> and you just continued with that, with that camera and that lens. I, I will I, I continued on for a little bit um, the the journey itself I mean I've had quite a few cameras but the 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 one that really got me started was called a Canon g7x canon g7x and that's a little pocket sized point and shoot really good on low light and um, decent audio so the problem with the GoPro approach is it, the audio is no good. the The video might be all right. You can you can go underwater. You can do some fun things, but you know, as a podcaster, of course, knows audio in some sense is just as important, or even more important than than the video. And it, someone once pointed out that if you're watching a video and the 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 video quality is off you can forgive that as long as it sounds okay. Like you'll mm-hmm. keep watching. You don't mind if it's like a 10-year-old video with bad quality. But if the audio is off, it's just a really unpleasant experience. So even if it's beautifully shot, if there's like static noise and stuff, people just click away. They're like, I'm not going to deal with this.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. So
1: realizing that audio is actually really important was a big stage of that, that that journey.
0: So you still do a lot of these sort of walk and talk type of videos. I saw one of your most yeah. recent ones where you and your girlfriend were walking... Down these snowy streets of Montreal, and uh, so is that? Is that what is that? What you typically use the the kind of camera you're using there? Or Do you have like different kinds of cameras for different kinds of scenes?
1: So I have, sorry to reach here, but I have one camera here. I have everything, everything from this, which is uh, for people who aren't watching. I'm holding up my Canon 90D DSLR camera with a massive lens on the front. So I've got a tripod on this. I have a microphone on top. But this is like at least a five or six pound setup. So in the Mexico days, when I'm and you know, in most of my travel videos, I'm carrying around something like that. And I'm holding it out in front of me. And actually, I need to hold it quite far so it gets my face framed properly. And you you don't just see my a close-up of my nose. So it's actually. It, it draws a lot of attention to you, which sometimes can be okay because some sometimes people come up and they're like, hey, are you a YouTuber? What's your channel? Like I've probably got some subscribers just from people seeing me in public doing that. But sometimes you want to be inconspicuous. Sometimes you don't want everyone around you knowing you're making a YouTube video, especially in places like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to pick on Guatemala City, but that was one place where I, I didn't know what the safety situation was like right away, and suddenly you're you're a visible foreigner and you're carrying around a thousand dollar camera. Like that's a real. Um, concern. Well, you know,
0: I think I think it is a concern, and and even as safe as I feel here, and I'm yeah. in Zone Ten. By the for those that don't know, Guatemala City's yeah. uh, divided into all these zones, just kind of the way the uh, the city grew uh, from its early days. But you know, I've been told certain zones don't even go. Um, certain zones are fine, but, uh, even, you know, some of the friends I've made here have told me, look, um, I know you're only about a 15, maybe 20 minute walk from where you're living to where you're working. Uh, you can walk that if you've got no valuables on you, but if you're carrying a backpack with a laptop, Mm -hmm. absolutely do not walk. Just take an Uber and an Uber costs me like two or $3, you know, each way, uh, which is really ridiculous. Um, uh, but yeah. but I but I I've thought about that because I'm I'm looking and I'm going you know I could I could document some things here, but at what point do I do I really take out um, you know an expensive camera or even my iPhone
1: yeah
0: um, and 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 be this like sort of foreigner walking down the street uh, just just an easy prey you know
1: it's a real concern I, I would say for someone in your situation it's a good idea just start with your phone because you know to. Every, everyone has a phone anyway, so like if, a potential thief might, you know, you, you, okay, you're holding out your phone, so now they know you have a phone, but they probably know you have one anyway. So if they were in the mindset of they want to rob you, like they, they could, you know, they might be able to make that happen anyway.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Whereas as something about a big camera, and I don't, I don't even have the highest end cameras, so I don't have like a $5,000 setup or anything, but they might think I do because they might just see the name Canon and be like, that's an expensive camera that's our target we're going to follow this guy and then who knows luckily like i'm a pretty yeah. tall guy and I, I don't i don't i don't usually film after dark so i i take some precautions but um i've i've never had a situation where my camera was stolen knock on wood i hope that never happens but i know people it's happened to so it's it is a good idea to take precautions and to start small with smaller cameras not, not only because of the safety factor, but also because, you know, the more expensive cameras now, they have the 4k video, they have the slow motion, they have all these features, but a lot of new YouTubers get lost in chasing the high quality. And it goes back to what I, what I was saying earlier, you know, you're not the travel channel and you, you shouldn't try to be, I mean, that might work for some people, but my approach has always been like, You know, you just need to be relatable. You need to be honest. You need to show places as they actually are. And people will gravitate towards that energy. Like one of the biggest travel channels on YouTube is this guy named Bald and Bankrupt. And I don't know if you're familiar, but I've been watching a lot of his content recently. He's literally, he walks around with an old camera that looks like the GoPro I started with five, six years ago he just, he's very outgoing. So he's always talking to locals. He's a bit outrageous. So sometimes there's a bit of a, like, what's this crazy guy going to do next factor. But that video, his videos get significantly more videos than the ones that like tourism boards are producing where they have, you know, the, the epic drone shots and all these beautiful footage of the country. Because to some extent we're, we're, I think people are, we're just kind of burnt out on like beautiful imagery. Like we just get shown that so many times. It's like, oh, here's a beautiful waterfall from Guatemala. But, you know, I just saw a beautiful waterfall from Bali, Indonesia. Like, I, I don't need another one. I've seen that before. Show me something real. Show me something on the streets. Yeah, That's what I think the superpower is. Well, that's what
0: I've really enjoyed about your videos is just the authentic nature. And And even we'll get into this in a little bit, but even just some of your recent commentary on just like, you know, the, the travel experiences post COVID and all that stuff. And just getting like, okay, what's this guy really think? And what, you know, what's his, but, but it, it comes across, not just the nap, but all of your, you know, man on the street sort of uh, mentality. Uh, Daniel, when you, uh, Daniel, gosh, I did that again. I'm hearing your mom in my head. (laughs) Uh, uh, But anyway, Dan, uh, what was your growth uh, or, or I should say, what was the process like? When you like starting a YouTube channel, uh, what was it? How did you obtain so many followers and how did you end up monetizing that as well?
1: Oh, big question. Uh, I'll start with how I got started. I, m- I mentioned how the, the blog sort of led me in there. So it was a very, you know, it was a very slow beginning. Um, it wasn't even something I really announced to all my friends or anything, which... Actually, I would sort of recommend people to do to do it that way. Like, may, You might have an instinct to tell all your friends and all your connections, like, I'm starting a YouTube channel. It's a big thing. It's happening. But to be honest, your first few videos aren't going to be that good. <laughs> you might think they're good, but a year later, you're going to be like, oh, what was I doing? Why did I use this as the moment to tell everyone about the big YouTube launch? because unless you have a video editing background you're just not going to be that good yet you need time and you know reading some of the early comments watching other videos will help you develop and just the process of doing it over and over will help you develop so i would say your your first videos might only get 5 or 6 views but that's okay like just think of it as like the first 10 the first 20 i'm just doing this from my own memories if anyone else watches that's cool but don't try to be a famous YouTuber at the beginning, because that will only send you down the wrong path. And I think the greatest thing I ever did at the beginning was, was not try to copy or not try to emulate any of the really successful channels. Cause I wasn't like them. Um, it took me about a year to get my first thousand subscribers, which is, is pretty crazy in, in that, you know, when my channel you know, well, this year has been uh sort of bad year for travel, but when my channel is growing rapidly, I mean I can I can get that in a week now or even less. But I spent a year getting a thousand subscribers. And then after two years, I was only up to about three or four thousand. It was really only when I went to Mexico and a bit before that in Costa Rica, but Mexico was the big spark where like the audience really started to grow. And since then, other trips to India and Brazil, I mean, I've had a number of, of different, um, breakthrough moments, but I, I, you know, I will say that to some extent, a YouTube travel YouTuber is always like building two different audiences. There's the people who are traveling and then there's the locals, right? And I've always tried to remember that in some sense, the locals are even more important than the travelers, at least the the way I'm building my brand and when I go to Mexico City, okay, I could show a few like attractions and and I could get another traveler to want to go to Mexico City, and that's great, but even more than that, I just want a Mexican who watches it to be like, "This guy gets to my city like he did justice to this place because they know it best, right? so if I want to be authentic, if I want to be real about what's happening, i want to I want to speak to the locals. I want to get them on my side, and you know, Mexico City's got what, like twenty million people. There's a lot more locals than people visiting them. So if you can tap tap into that energy, then you can really start to get a lot of a lot of fans and a lot of viewership.
0: So when you grew when you when you were growing the number of followers and the number of views while let's say while you were in Mexico City, is it that the locals? Find a curiosity in this sort of foreign person who's kind of living or traveling here uh, and what they think of our city? Is that, or what did you find uh, about what was appealing to them?
1: Exactly. There's a fascination in what people from other countries think, especially in countries that have negative stereotypes associated with them. In Mexico, it might just be the idea that people think it's a dangerous place or people think, uh, you know the whole way the media treats them, and even you know uh no need to get political, but like certain American politicians have definitely not been kind to Mexico and stuff like that, so I think you know, as I said, the people in Mexico city are and across mexico they're they're educated, they're modern, they have a lot of great things happening, and when the media is only portraying one side of Mexico, you know it's I can only imagine it's pretty uh. It's pretty harmful and pretty, you know, you mentioned your family comes from Cuba at some point and Cuba's in a similar situation, I think. People might have ideas about what the country's like, but they're, they're probably way off in some sense. And when a Mexican sees another, you know, foreign guy traveling around and they're saying nice things about their country and they're showing that, you know, these ideas we might have are actually incorrect I think it's, it's, it's a point of pride and it's also, yeah, it's like, it's a new form of media. It's, it's, I I sometimes think of what I'm doing as trying to be the opposite of the newspapers where the newspapers are just bringing bad news from other countries all the day. Like I'm trying to bring something good.
0: Uh, Yeah. You know, I feel, I feel the same way, whether it's with my podcast here where I interview a lot of, you know, interesting entrepreneurs or. Or whatever, but I also feel like you know there's such there's so much negative content out there in the world, right? And a lot of it is through media, um, and you know the media today has become very, you know, entertainment driven in a sense, right? And people want to watch train wrecks, you know, uh, in some sense. Uh, but but I feel like there's wow, there's so many more good stories, there's so many more good people, um, and showcasing that people like yourself, you know, what you're doing. Uh, whether people who are listening to this podcast already follow you or now they've got some you know new interest in following you because they heard your story here. Um, you know, that's what I kind of like try to do. So I think that's really great in what you're doing uh, for both showing those who don't live in a certain place what that place is like, but also people who live there are seeing, oh wow, someone really appreciates you know our local culture, our community here here as well. Well, Dan, uh, one more um, just to, just to kind of add to that. So it's interesting because I feel like, hey, uh, somebody who's just starting out now. You said it took you a, thou- um, a year to get to a thousand followers, yeah. and for someone that might be really exciting. Like, wow, I've got two followers or ten followers getting to a thousand by the end of the year. That would be a really awesome goal. Um, what is it? I mean, how often uh, is it about h- how consistent you are with your content? Is it? Are you using? I mean. Is it about using, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Hashtags or 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 any kind of things? Is it like what is it that gets people to to discover you? Um, you know, and then there's also the idea, right, of yeah. paying paying for for things like that too.
1: So I would say forget about hashtags. Um, hashtags are a feature on YouTube. They added a couple of years ago, but they don't really do much. YouTube does. They, no one's really searching YouTube hashtags that much. Um, paying for youtube reach i would say forget about that as well because yeah i haven't really done it myself but from everyone i've heard it's not worth what you're getting out of it and and usually in the context of youtube paying means like you'll be you'll be paying to be that little advertisement in front of someone else's video which annoys everyone and they just can't wait to click through it like I, <laughs> to be honest i don't know how how youtube gets paid so much for those ads because I I don't know of any time I've ever actually like bought a product from a YouTube ad. They're they're all, everyone's just annoyed by them and waiting to get to the real video, but I suppose it works for someone. But I I would say as a small brand, as a new YouTuber, it's, it's an, you know, it's, it's kind of a cliche, but it, it does come down to making good content. And it also comes down to understanding what good content is in the context of YouTube. So for example, I mean, I, I, I like, is this podcast going to be on YouTube? For example, yeah,
0: we'll put some clips on YouTube.
1: Yeah. So, and, and you're, you're ahead of the game. Cause I was just about to say the word clips, because that's a great example of how, you know, a lot of people, someone could take an hour long conversation and put it on YouTube. And there could be some really powerful moments in that conversation, but if, if the audience doesn't recognize the name of either person and they're just like, you know, here's a talk about travel, here's, here's a talk about growing a business. There's a lot of content like that on YouTube. And no, no one, very few people are going to just take a chance on two strangers and a long conversation, you know? But if you take a clip and it's answering a specific question someone has, and then that is put there and the, the question is in the, t- in the title, and, um, you know, put a short description, put some keywords about like what, what it's about. YouTube will see that it's it's a search engine. People will type in, you know, um, you know how to grow a YouTube audience or whatever. And then sooner or later, some people will find it. And then if, you know, and maybe they don't even subscribe because that's the thing about YouTube. You, subscribers are hard to get. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, a YouTube, I'm a YouTube viewer and I don't subscribe to that many channels at least not based on one video, right? It's usually when there's a channel I've seen a few times and I'm like, okay, this guy, like I, I know him now, I've seen three in a row. I, I understand I want to see this channel and I want to subscribe. But in a sense, like YouTube, getting a YouTube subscription is a big deal. It's not like someone is saying they want to see, you know, 10 minute videos every day from this channel. It's, it's not like in in Instagram or Twitter where you might follow someone and you just see a quick photo, you give it a quick like, you're on with your day. It's like, no, you're agreeing to sit down with this person and hear what they have to say, watch their video. It's a higher level of commitment. So I, I would just encourage people to think of it as, as you say, if you get 100 subscribers, like that's that's great. Like that's a lot. Not everyone gets there. Um and uh, you know, we we if you want to go into like tactile tips, we we could I could keep going. There's there's other things like uh, brand consistency is big, making it very clear in the header at the top, and also just the organization of your YouTube page. Someone should be able to tell within t- ten to fifteen seconds like what this channel is about. You know, for so, me, the, the new travel is right there in the name. But like, you know, if, you, if your channel is called Francisco Gonzalez or something like someone. The name isn't going to give it away. So you got to make it very obvious to someone very quickly what the what the value proposition of this channel is going to be.
0: And what you're saying too, uh the subject of your videos, the, the titles of your videos mm-hmm. are more important than, say, putting in like hashtags and things like that.
1: Titles, big title and thumbnail are the two biggest and I think thumbnail gets overlooked by a lot of new youtubers. I, I I probably still overlook it to be honest because I'm not a super I'm not super into graphic design or anything like that. but I can tell you that um have you heard of Mr. Beast? No, I haven't. So after this conversation any or anyone who's listening go to YouTube check out Mr. Beast. He's one of the fastest growing YouTube channels. And he he's this kid who's like 21 or 22 years old, but he's built an empire. He has like 50 employees working for him now. Wow. And he'll make videos like, uh, we ate the world's biggest piece of pizza. And somehow they they actually get this enormous piece of pizza and have this ridiculous thumbnail where there's like 10 people trying to eat this piece of pizza. And it's, it's just, uh, or, or like, I spent 24 hours underwater. And you're like, no, no, you didn't. But you click on it and they actually did. He figured out a way to spend 24 hours underwater with this little like air bubble around him. And he had some interviews where he ex- basically explained, we have like weekly meetings and we spend like so much time discussing what the idea is, what the title will be, what the thumbnail will be before any of the shooting process. Wow. Wow. So I think the channels that are really taking it to the next level are doing the opposite of me where you know I'm I'm on the streets filming and trying to show these cities but the real people who are excelling at YouTube fast are the ones who are thinking of like what will be a great idea for a video and then going out and filming that idea but it's the idea that comes first.
0: Well yeah I was going to say cuz what you just said about um you know that's a whole like production what people are thinking but it yeah. sounds to me so obviously considering your journey on this you were a traveler before you were a youtuber yep what do you consider yourself today i mean do you do you think first about hey i want to go travel somewhere and because i'm traveling there i'm going to document it or you think about i want to document something really interesting and so i'm going to go travel to this specific place
1: I've always tried to remain a traveler first and foremost, and uh, there might have been some videos where I lost track of that. Like to be perfectly frank, there are there are some I can't even think of any right now. But there's certainly like some places I've gone where I'm like, other people have done videos like this. This could get a lot of clicks. This could get a lot of views, and that's a you know that's a natural part of you know this is a business, and you want to you know. You want to grow it. You want to continue. Uh, you just want to grow it. But at the but if if you end up doing too much of that, you you end up losing that special feeling that got people attracted to your channel in the first place. You end up becoming right. the same as everyone else. You know, doing the same style videos that they've seen before, and you lose passion for it as well, because you find your that you're you're not. You're not drawing from your own, you're not drawing from yourself and sharing it with the world anymore. You're just uh, kind of chasing this, uh, you know, this elusive algorithm, which was actually why I got, I fell out of love with writing in the first place um, because I was chasing the SEO and I was doing what other people thought I should be doing when the answer was so obvious, but I just didn't have the courage to actually be writing about what I really wanted to be writing about. Uh, as you know, I'm working on a book now. Maybe we can talk about that later. But um, f- for now, I'll just say that... Uh... Oh, I just, lost, I just lost my train of thought. Well,
0: well Dan, Dan, let me just ask you one thing. Just to, just if uh, what are the kind of ways that you monetize? Like, how do you monetize? Because yeah. you're now, uh, if I may ask, I, it sounds like uh, pre-COVID. Let's, yeah. let's at least get up to that point. Um, this was a this was your job. This was how you were making a living, right? Um, yeah. Traveling and documenting and bringing, you know, great videos to people. So what were the revenue streams uh, or are the revenue streams that, that come in uh, to support you?
1: Great question. And um, yeah, sorry, just, just just to finish off the last point, I, I definitely think of myself as a as as a traveler first, because like, you know, that's that's what it was all about from the beginning. And uh, I, I, I'll just reiterate that because I think it's a really important point for anyone who's in a business and might be going through a period of like burnout or just feeling uh, like they've lost their way. Just remember what it was that got you started in the first place, because that, that in some sense has to be your guiding star. Um, to the point of monetization, you're right. It's been my full-time job since Oh, let's say 2017. Yeah. It was a bit of a, it was a bit of a like loose transition. It took some time for me to fully commit to it. Um, and at this point, as, as you mentioned, it's travel is in a rough place and things are getting better, but of all the industries to reopen, like in some sense, travel will be the last one back. So I am still like, relatively bullish on how 2021 will play out. Like, I'm not like things are back to normal. It's it's going to be a journey. So, okay. So a, a big part of how I've monetized is just simply through YouTube ad revenue. When you get to the point where you have hundreds of thousands of views on your videos, um, those little annoying ads I was talking about, which play before the video, each one of those could give, you know, a penny or two pennies to the creator, like a very, very small amount, which you won't even notice through the first couple of years of being a YouTuber. And then suddenly you'll have earned a hundred dollars and then YouTube will, you get an email saying, oh, you, you got a check in the mail. You just made a hundred bucks. And you're like, oh, that's cool. Like, I, I didn't know you could <laughs> really make money from this. And then a couple of months later, you'll have another check in the back. Like, hey, here, here's another $105. You, you, you reached your, your limit again. And you're like, oh, this is cool. And then before you know it, you actually have a part-time job. And you're like, okay, I'm now a part-time like paid YouTuber. This is interesting. <laughs> and then if things can really accelerate, there's no theoretical limit on how high that can go. Like the the Mr. Beasts of the world, the guy I just I just referenced, are making millions of dollars a year just off of YouTube ad revenue because they're getting so many tens and hundreds of millions of views. So it is a business in the sense that you know it's it's scalable and there's no like theoretical limit on that, which is a beautiful thing. It's also an ugly thing because, like any business, it goes through up waves and down waves, and you know uh, things like a pandemic, which are out of everyone's control, can quickly um, change things. However, other things can change things, just like people's interests and people's trends. Like the videos that were really popular six, seven years ago might not be so popular today. So sometimes you see creators who are stuck making a video that was really popular in 2016, but today people just aren't searching for that kind of content anymore. So you really need to have your thumb like on the pulse of YouTube and and as much as you want to balance like keeping true to yourself you also need to have some sense of reality if you want to make it as a as a as a full-time youtuber um now uh, there are other revenue streams like personally i have a patreon page uh not sure if you're familiar with patreon and how that yeah, works we've a got a bit. patreon page as well oh so. oh that's great so you 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 know all about it for anyone who doesn't you know just it's it's a way well I'm sure most people do by this point, but it's a way to support creators and, uh, you know, people doing work that you find valuable. And there's, um, well, there's a, that's a whole nother discussion, but Patreon is a great way to get some, some crowd support and people saying, listen, uh, maybe I can only give a couple dollars, but like collectively, if you have a big enough audience, that can go a long way. Sure. Uh, another way that I get some money is from brand partnerships. Uh, I've worked with tourism boards in the past where, you know, at first it was just uh, when I was about 50,000 subscribers, I had the first experiences where someone was willing to fly me to a destination to make a video about that destination or to help them with their own uh, objectives as a tourism board. And at first I was like, this is great. I'm I'm flying for free. Like I'm living the dream. Uh, and it it is great for a while, but there still is the cost expense of like, you need to be editing the video and sharing the video and promoting the video. And of course, filming the video, like you're in a bit more of a, you know, like you're in a work mindset. You're not just on vacation anymore. It's like every day you want to do as much as you can. So after a while, you get to the point where you can start charging for those, that sort of content. And And realizing, you know, as much as it's nice to travel for free, if you want to be a business, if you want to be full time, you need to have, you know, rates, you need to have, uh, you need to value your time, I guess. And that was a journey for me as well, just to have this sort of confidence at some point to say like, hey, this, 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 you know, quote unquote job that I just kind of fell into and and was just following my passion into it now actually is a job so i need to think of it that way and i need to put on you know my big boy ceo hat and uh, really think about the value i can offer to tourism boards to my viewers to you know to anyone really yeah
0: no, that's great well that's that's really good for i think a lot of people to to understand and how and how that evolution happened from simply just a passion of sharing your fun travel experiences to evolving it as a job but obviously the passion's still there and still the core of it. Now uh Dan uh we alluded to this a few times now obviously travel radically changed uh, about a year ago actually we're we're recording this in the second week of March here it's uh, exactly a year from when um uh you know all the Government agencies, international bodies declared COVID 19 a pandemic. Isn't that crazy? Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, I had a hell of a 2019 travel year. I mentioned going to Guatemala and Mexico City. Uh, I also did a dream vacation for me, uh, me and some friends who we went to Peru for nine days. Um, and I also visited your wonderful city of Montreal. Nice. I also visited Bermuda. <laughs> I mean, I just uh, this was like it was like a crazy year where little trips and big trips kind of kept popping in there. And 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 I know you're quite the traveler as well. So by the way, I had such a 2019 crazy travel year. I mean, I travel a lot as it is. I'd gone to Israel in 2018. That was like my number one dream destination of a place I wanted to go. Um, so between Israel and Peru, I was like, wow, I just knocked like the top of my bucket list. <laughs> Pretty pretty hardcore. That's awesome. And I and I actually remember saying at the end of 2019, you know, I'm just gonna chill a little bit in 2020. Well, the pandemic <laughs> took, took care of that for me a little yeah, bit. Little did you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but unfortunately for people in the travel industry, whether it's airlines, hotels, you know, even restaurants and all sorts of, you know, where I live in Orlando, uh, Walt Disney World, Universal, you know, those companies are gonna survive. They're huge. But a lot of the employees lost their jobs. A lot of the small mom and pop businesses around places like that went out of business. Um, but you're also part of the travel industry as a as a YouTuber who who travels. And yep. obviously, uh, how did that affect you? And what was your you know I know I remember seeing a video at the very beginning of, gosh, probably even weeks before all the government said shut everything down. Uh, you were also already saying. Hey, you know what? It might not be responsible to travel right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of take it easy um, as an example. So tell me about one, how did it affect how did how has the last year affected you and your industry? And two, um, what has like your evolution and your thought process been like from, from a year ago this week to to today?
1: You know, that's a great question. And I'll give you, I'll tell you something really sort of strange i i I was actually as you mentioned i made i made a video talking about the topic in like i think early february or something uh at a point where i hadn't seen any other travel youtubers talk about this period and it just felt like an elephant in the room because like obviously it was all over the news and i guess a lot of youtubers you know, you don't want to talk about all the controversial stuff because, you know, it can just open up a can of worms. But I, I just thought, like, this is a conversation that should be had. I was feeling increasingly anxious about what was going on. And sometimes I just make videos to share my thoughts and to hear other people's thoughts. Maybe not everyone agrees with me, but I think it's like, it's a conversation worth starting. So I was kind of asking the question being like, hey, like, what do you guys think? Like, China's shut down like, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's, what's it called? Italy is shutting down. Like, what, what do you guys think? Uh, this doesn't look like it's going in a good direction. And some people definitely thought it was no big deal. And to, to be fair, like most people back then did. Um, ironically, like I, I, part of the reason I was paying close attention to it very early on was I was, I was planning a trip. I was, planning a trip to Pakistan. Actually, I was invited on a trip to the North of Pakistan, which is right by the Chinese border. And, um, so when I heard there's some new like disease happening in, in China, I, I started paying close attention. I started reading a lot about it and it freaked me out actually, because you know, it's, it's, yeah, it was, I, 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 I took a deep dive down the rabbit hole and I, I I was sort of convinced that the world was going to shut down by like the end of January. I was like, this is not going to be good. So there was like a solid month where my girlfriend and like other people around me thought I was a bit, a bit Looney Tunes, you know, and I, maybe I thought I was too. I was like, what's, what's going on? Is this just, is this just me? But I kept reading this stuff. And anyway, that was my strange introduction to the world of COVID. Uh, by chance, I happened to see that things were not looking good. Um, Speaking of a year ago, ironically, uh, you know, just over a year ago was my last trip. I took a trip to the west coast of Canada, Victoria Island, uh, sorry, Vancouver Island, and um, that was that was a that was a trip with a tourism board who sent me out there. Had a great time, but by March, as you alluded to, that was when things were shutting down, and this was like just before the US Canada border had closed, this was like, so I I think I flew out there on like March 7th and I flew back on March, I wanna say March 11th. And in those like four or five days, it went from, on the way there, I was actually flying with a mask on the airplane, but I was one of like only three people on the whole airplane who was. So like, I was definitely on like the more like, you know, paranoid side of the spectrum, I think. (laughs) And then four, or five. I remember. Days...
0: I remember people like you because I took a trip in yeah. a February, a work trip to Houston, about February twenty third, yeah. and I remember
1: seeing one person with a mask on,
0: thinking, "What, what is going on here?"
1: <laughs> and then four, or five days later, I flew back, and the day before, the NBA had just canceled the entire season, the NHL hockey league had canceled the entire season. Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada was like there's a big announcement coming on Monday. We thought they the whole country was going to lock down. Everyone was panicked. No one knew what was coming. And then there was like half the plane was wearing was wearing masks and ev- the whole vibe had changed. There was no it wasn't of course this was way before masks became required to fly or anything like that. The airlines didn't know what to do, what to do. But I heard some hushed conversations between like airport staff and it was just remarkable how in the period of like three, four days, everyone had realized like the world has changed, and we don't know what's coming next. But yeah, it was just a it was a, it was a very sad goodbye to travel, to be honest. It was it was tough, and you know so I, you you I you kind of yeah just just yeah, to yeah, quickly finish that story. I I you know I, I didn't even publish that video that I made there. That was another question, like talking to the tourism board. So no one is traveling. Is it appropriate to share a travel video? because a lot of my audience might think it's not. They'd be like, why are you promoting travel when they just shut down the borders? So I actually delayed that video all the way till like June. And then in the summer, things were opening up a bit more. Of course, the pandemic wasn't over. But at this point, we realized like, well, what am I going to do? Hold on to this for two years? Like sooner or later, you got to get the videos out. So for myself and a lot of others, there was definitely a period of like, so what's the next move? Like, our job is to promote something that we're being told not to do. So it, it became a personal dilemma that me and a lot of other people had to go through.
0: So you kind of, uh, yeah, as you just alluded to, you you didn't even publish the video that you were sort of paid to create uh, for, for many months, yeah. uh, probably smartly for those people paying you too. Like what?
1: Not, like- not, not only that, but. I- the my my contact at the tourism board was laid off a week later. Oh wow. She was like and she was the one who had actually watched my video. She was a fan of my channel and had like worked to get me there. And then she was like, Dan, I just want to tell you. And I hope I'm not speaking out of turn by saying this, but I, I, I'm i not I won't name any names or anything. But she basically said, like, uh, you're still gonna get paid. We're don't worry about anything, but like we have cut like sixty percent of our staff has been laid off and like that was, the, that was the first like opening moment for me to see, okay, travel has stopped, but now the ripple effect of like, what's going to actually happen to the travel industry. And it's going to get pretty ugly. And, um, that was in March of 2020. Like now it's been, you know, it's, it's been a while. So as you alluded to, it's, it's tough for the small businesses and it's, In many ways, we're in a similar situation as the restaurants. I keep thinking of restaurants who, you know, they want to open. Some places they can't open. Here in Montreal, they're still closed. We can't dine into restaurants, and we haven't been able to since uh, September of 2020.
0: Wow. Okay, so they reopened at some point and then closed again?
1: Yeah, they opened for the summer and then into like, yeah, mostly just the summer, I guess. Was but all, I mean, like here, uh, yeah. we have actually one of the strictest policies in all of North America. We have a curfew in Montreal. I don't know if you're aware, but we have an 8 p.m. curfew. So we're not allowed wow. to be outside past 8 p.m. Or wow, you could get incredible. a fine of up to $5,000. And they've been giving them out to people.
0: Yeah, wow. Well, um, so you kind of uh, went a little dark on, on your videos for many months. I know you put a couple updates out. Um. I know you also at some point started a podcast, kind of later in the year. Yeah, and uh, so I've got a few questions for you. Then I saw your your first trip, which I think was around October, was to Mexico. So tell us about how uh, you kind of evolved uh, in into into saying, okay, uh, I I'm gonna first of all, actually, let's 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 make this a three parter. Yeah, first I got so many to... so
1: many things going on, you know. Yeah.
0: Well, first of all, I want to know. Uh, what was it like? Like, how many months of like not traveling was it like for me? I remember thinking I travel a lot for work. I yeah. travel a lot for fun, and I remember maybe, you know, six weeks into uh, like no travel, yeah, um, I was like, wow, I don't remember a time in my life in the last at least fifteen years where I slept this many nights in my own bed, like yeah. in a row. Um, so, what was it like, like, like being home? in Montreal. And then secondly, uh, the shift to then saying, I'm going to go ahead and, and do a trip and tell us about that Mexico trip.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it, w- it was, brutal. I won't go into like a, a deep dive into what the lockdown experience was like. Uh, I think a lot of people this past year have suffered in their own way. They're, you know, talk to a thousand different people. There's a thousand different stories, which is why for a while I, you know, I know I didn't feel the need to, uh, you know, I didn't want to be complaining about my job, especially in a place like YouTube where, as we've mentioned, I always try to keep it real. I always try to be honest with my audience. I just stopped making videos for a while because I felt like I had nothing to add to the conversation but negativity. My mind had gone to a pretty dark place for you know, uh, a fair bit of 2020. And, and part of that was, uh, as I mentioned, you know, like I was already like, you know, by like the end of January, I was already thinking like, oh, the world is going to be crazy. But like, almost jokingly, like part of me didn't believe it would actually happen. And then when the world actually did shut down and like my worst dreams were coming true, I'm like, well, this is the apocalypse. People are, you know, hoarding toilet paper and all the just all the crazy things that were happening, Uh, you know, the riots in America. And I, I think the the my my inability to travel, I just started checking the news too often and almost... It just it just changed my mindset completely, which um, luckily I've broken out of that trap and I, I don't spend too much time even thinking about that stuff anymore. I'm just back to, uh, you know, the things I can concern my own world of uh, content creation and stuff like that. But I really do think the news media can can manipulate people and can really change your mental state for the worst and i think that's happened to a lot of people this year and i think it's um yeah it's 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 really sad to see uh so that i mean that's that's a bit of the journey i went through in 2020 um i live in a small apartment in montreal and as i mentioned like they've been really strict with the lockdown stuff here so uh it was pretty tough in the winter months when you can't I mean, you can, you can obviously walk outside, but everything's closed. There's not too many places to go, and it's cold outside. So you don't get as much exercise as you're used to. Um, so, yeah, the the lockdown was pretty brutal. And then, of course, through this period, I was seeing there were a couple of other travel bloggers who were still traveling. Um, a couple of them in actually quite a few to Mexico, since Mexico had one of the more open policies in the world, I think. There was Mexico, there was Turkey. There were a couple other places that were like, you know what, no tests needed, just come down here. And in some people's opinion, that's irresponsible, but I, I think they just made a calculated choice and said, you know what, tourism is so important to our, so many millions of people in this country that to cut that off would be like more devastating even than the health effects. So we're just gonna keep it open, come on down here, keep the Mexican economy floating and keep all those people employed. And I think what you kind of uh, mentioned
0: in a recent video was at the beginning yeah it was more about stopping the spread of the virus right and now the yeah. virus is basically everywhere um so yes yeah exactly I mean, you and still catch it in large groups you know things like that so m- maybe being on a plane with you know 200 other people isn't like the most greatest thing to do, but, but at the same time, what's the yeah. difference in going to the grocery store? Right. Um, so, but, but, but anyway, yeah. So I think, uh, kind of opening up that, like you said, it was kind of a calculated, uh, thing for, for many countries and places.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I would, I mean, yeah, we, we don't, we don't need to go too deep into that whole conversation because obviously everyone's got their own and viewpoints and that I yeah. think is, is clear by now. Like, you know, I, I traveled in, I traveled to Mexico in, oh, when did I leave? October of 2020. Um, By that point, the numbers were actually looking pretty good. You know, things were definitely better than like the first wave situation. Uh, And also it was, by this point, the airlines had protocols, like people knew what to do. There was hand sanitizer everywhere. There's temperature checks everywhere. By the way, the first period was so chaotic because like no one knew how to respond. So, like some people could be traveling, but we didn't even really know what this virus was. like no one knew what the heck was going on. so in my view, it was like let's just like I know I love to travel too, but let's all just chill for a bit and see where this goes. <laughs> you know
0: By the way, for those listening, they got to go to your the new travel channel on YouTube uh, because you put out a video, I think it was around October or something when you first yeah. traveled, and uh, it was hilarious uh, it was like <laughs> it was a view sitting in the airport, like asking questions. That I mean, I was. I think my first flight, I, I took a tri- I just went to Georgia and Tennessee, and I took a flight from Orlando to Atlanta in like June, and it was kind of the same thing. Like, am I supposed to be here? How far distance am I supposed to keep? Do I have to keep this mask on? Can I eat? You know, it was like. So I thought your 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 video was very funny and Thanks, man. very relative. There's still a lot of people who haven't taken their first trip since COVID. Uh, I think they need to go watch your video because it's funny and it'll get, it'll be all the things they're thinking on that first I think trip it was, to the airport. I think
1: it was called like what flying during a pandemic is really like, or like what it really feels like. Because some other YouTubers had made some videos where it's like, you know, we travel YouTube, people are always smiling and like trying to be upbeat because you want to be positive for your audience. But some people were just like, kind of like, I, I, almost making light of the situation, like, just joking about the mask and everything is like very like happy go easy. But then I traveled and like, it's not like that at all, at least not for, you know, myself and the people I was around. It's, it's quite stressful situations. And you have a lot of questions like, am I even allowed to eat in the airport? There's no one, there's no one around telling me if I can take off my mask and eat, but uh, people have to eat sooner or later. Right? Like this, the staff has well, to eat
0: somewhere. A few airports I've been in, um, you don't have as many food options either because some of the restaurants yeah. have gone out of business or, or they don't... At the beginning, when they were reopening, they didn't have enough customers each day to, to feel like they needed to open. So I'm I'm, I'm walking around. I remember the uh, the Nashville airport. I'm going, my gosh, my options are Burger King and Starbucks. And I was just trying to get some dinner um, and I was probably just lucky that those were open.
1: I just, you know, one thing... I I just made sure I was extra nice to all the staff on the airplanes and all the, all the people I ran into in the airport. And like, I even, the woman who gave me my boarding pass, I just, you know, I just thanked her for like all her hard work, you know, almost the way I would thank like a soldier coming back from combat, because like, whether you think of it or not, like, yeah, it's really stressful for you in the day in the airport, but these people are doing it every single day. And you know, some people are really concerned about the virus. Some people know not so much, but clearly there's a risk involved to being there, doing that job every day. And, you know, whether it's the people at the airport or the people bagging our groceries or whatever, just, you know, let's remember, like there's a lot of people out there uh, whose lives have been changed and who are, you know, dealing with tough situations. So I think a bit of empathy and a bit of compassion can can go a long way. Oh, for sure. So so Dan, you went to Mexico. Uh,
0: where yeah. exactly did you go in Mexico? And I understand you also spent some time there uh, writing a book. So tell us a little bit about that experience and how long you were there.
1: I flew to Mexico City, uh, which was the, the main entry point to Mexico. Was there for a few days. Uh, had booked a hostel, a private room in a hostel. I, I expected it to be like empty when I got there. It was surprisingly it was quite busy. There were actually people there, you know, drinking and hanging out and, uh, gotta love Mexico, (laughs) (laughs) gotta love Mexico. But for the first couple of days, like I, I mostly, I was just, uh, you know, again, I hadn't flown in a year. I wanted to not, you know, bring a new virus into Mexico. So I just kind of did my own thing and I wasn't trying to socialize or anything, at least until I knew I had made it and I was healthy, you know? Um, but after that, I, I took a bus to a place called Depoltzland. And Depoltzland is a Pueblo Magico about about two hours from Mexico City, a beautiful little town. Is it south? Or? It is south. Yeah, it's in the state of Morelos. So I don't know
0: if that's where we went, but there was one day when I was there in November of 2019. Yeah. My friend Joe, uh, maybe he can affirm this for me after I talk to him. but Because um, I don't exactly know, but it was... Uh, do they have? Do they call a lot of towns Pueblo Mágicos?
1: Yeah, Pueblo Mágico is there's there's about a hundred towns in Mexico that they call magic towns. It's this de- designation they've given to like really beautiful old towns. So um, we stopped.
0: We stopped in one of them on the way. To, we 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 actually yeah. hired like this private um, uh, driver in like a we had like a van because we were going to some mezcal farms. I guess you want to call nice. Them. And so they were, I remember it being about two hours south of Mexico City and then a good two hours, if not more back because we hit some traffic. But we stopped at a few different mezcal farms and we stopped at this little village that was a Pueblo Magico and it had, we actually climbed a like a temple. like um, That sounds
1: like Tipotsland. Yeah. It's got beautiful copper mountains all around the town yeah. and there's like an old ruin you can climb up to. It's, it's quite yes. a, it's a lot of stairs to get up, right?
0: Yeah, that was probably it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know I blogged about it. So uh I'll, And that I'll, was cl- I'll have that to... was
1: closed, believe it or not. That was closed due to the the virus. Yeah. Um and which is interesting because it's it's just like a public place to go hiking. So uh
0: so you were in that town?
1: Like I was you... actually staying. I had booked uh I booked my own home in a place in the hills outside the town. So in, in the greater area, but I went down there not really trying to make travel videos or do anything other than work on this book I was writing. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that for a little bit I was just consuming too much news media. I was, you know, I was I was pretty bombed out about the the state of travel, and you know, twenty twenty had been the worst year of my life, and I just decided. I don't really want this to be the story of 2020. I want to reclaim this year for myself and I want to change it into something else. And what I decided to do was I'm going to write a book. I'd always wanted to write, as I mentioned, I mean, I studied writing as a student. I had a blog for a while, but I'd never given it my full go. And I never really had anything to write about that passionately. But now I did. I'd, I'd experienced, I'd lived in Mexico for a year. I'd experienced the travel life. And I wanted to write a book about traveling and in particular about Mexico. So I was at home in Montreal. I was locked down. Everything, all the restaurants, everything's closed. It's, it's minus it's 20 degrees outside, you know. So I just started writing this book and I put all my energy into this book. And it started going pretty well, but I, as the months went on, I felt like, I was losing my track and I needed a spark and it just became so obvious suddenly, like, why don't I go to Mexico? The border is open. I can fly down there. I don't need to be at a resort in Cancun or something. In fact, I don't, I shouldn't be, I should be going to the Mexico I know, which is the Mexico, which is a bit more off the beaten path, a bit more local and just find somewhere where I'm close to a town where, like, if, if all the COVID cases are good, I can go, I can eat, I can hang out, I can drink, I can have fun. But if the COVID situation starts to get bad, it, like, listen, I'm, I'm in nature. I got my own spot. I just got my groceries. I'll hang out. I'll work on my book. That that was the thought process. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: nice. Uh, and your book was, your book is is about your experience in Mexico too, right?
1: It's it's about my experience in Mexico. It's. It's actually gone through a big journey. It started out as being, you know, rather autobiography, a bit of an autobiography just about my journey, why, you know, what got me started in the travel path, how I moved to Mexico, and then how my perception of Mexico changed through living there. But, you know, I eventually came to the conclusion that this might be really interesting to some of my viewers who've been following me for a long time but I want to tell a story that's bigger than that. I want to reach people who have no idea who Dan and no idea who the new travel is. I want to tell like a really nice story about the travel experience. It'll be told in Mexico, but really I want to show people like what travel means when you get away from the resorts and you get away from the luxury a bit and you get to know like real people and you get to know real experiences. Uh, Cause that's, that's where the love of travel came for me. Going all the way back to that first trip we did through Guatemala, where we saw a lot of a lot of local places, and um, now it's a book. Now it's a novel, actually. There's characters. There's a story arc. There's uh, it's it's evolved into something where so it's Dan a the New Travel isn't there anymore. Yeah, it's 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 a fiction, which is based on various points of my time in Mexico. So people who know me will recognize things I did from videos and experiences I had. But it's 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 in another story entirely at this point. So um <laughs> well, it's that's it's neat. been a journey, man. I've restarted this whole book a couple of times, which is why it's taking much longer than I thought it would be. But I'm really happy with the 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 direction it's currently on. Well, that's a really neat uh way to take it. You
0: know, it's funny. Um we had on this podcast uh my friend Josh Simmons. Um, okay. And he is an, a fiction writer, but he, that's not, that wasn't his day job. He was a lawyer. He worked for a boutique law firm in DC. Oh, wow. He then started just writing, um, like get up at five in the morning, you know, he's married, he's got a couple kids, uh, and he would just get up at five in the morning, just start writing. But he was, he used some of the real life experiences he had, uh, for some of the books Now he's put out like six or seven yeah. fiction works. now. Now, a few years ago, when we had him on the podcast, he actually had just left um, his day job to be a full-time fiction writer. Um, and that was on episode 52 of uh, of the podcast. Oh, I'll
1: have to check it out. That's yeah. something, huh?
0: Um, now, I just saw Josh a couple of weeks ago. Him and his wife, they live just uh, outside Washington, D.C., but they needed a break from the D.C. lockdowns as well. And they actually parked themselves in a just outside Orlando in Kissimmee, Florida for a month or two, because they were both working remote anyway. Yeah, Josh had actually, since I ta- since I had him on the podcast, actually got a stint with the State Department, U.S. State Department for about, I think, maybe two years. Um, and now he's moving back into the, the law firm life, but back into the writing life. But he was telling me, oh, it was good to be back, you know, in like a real job doing, <laughs> you know, getting, acquiring, content in a sense that he can apply to his fiction works um so uh, uh, that's interesting and then another friend of mine uh, uh also um just recently told me he was doing he had actually done some travel in guatemala and some other places in central and south america a few years back and he's been like working on this like book for a while on um on uh, on, on some some kind of travel as well so my friend david but uh, so I told him, I said, well, we're going to need we're going to need to see some some work product here soon. So uh, but anyway, uh, Dan, but that's kind of interesting, the evolution of taking it from an autobiographical uh, nonfiction work to to a fiction work. And, and yeah, uh, and
1: well, as as your as your friend said, you know, it's it's fiction, but there is always parts of your life. And I think it's fiction will always have parts of your life because like a, a writer can only really write about what they know to some extent. And I mean, you can go totally like fantasy and totally sci-fi and you can, some people make up, you know, really crazy stories, but the human interaction, like deep underneath, there will always be something that they know, you know, maybe, you know, there's a a character who reminds them of their brother or something, or a friend they used to know, like the the human experience you had is is what you can put into stories, which other people can relate to. If you don't have that, you don't have anything.
0: So... And and fiction, whether it's reading or writing, right, really
1: builds the imagination. Um, yeah, it builds the imagination and also it it I mean, you know, that's another part of me. I'm 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 a book lover. I wouldn't I wouldn't have gotten into writing if I if I wasn't. I, I think in some sense the experience of traveling and the experience of reading a good book are very similar. You know, it mm-hmm. takes you to another world, it shows you people in a way you haven't seen before. Um no, I totally yeah, agree, yeah. and I'm I'm a big
0: reader myself, and uh, you know, just previewing something for people here because we haven't publicly launched this yet, but I'm I'm actually in the process right now of starting a community, kind of a, evolving this podcast from simply a podcast mm-hmm. uh, to a community of what I call aspiring and ascending entrepreneurs. But in the community, while we're going to be teaching people, uh, and and people like yourself who have been guests of my podcast. We're going to really utilize you all as the as the role models for people in the community to learn from. Uh, so, so, what in,
1: what inspired you to to take this step?
0: What inspired me really was, um, first of all, getting the opportunity to have these kinds of conversations one on one, and I learn. And I and every time um, I've, I've I've said this since the beginning of this podcast over five years ago. You know, I started just doing it on the side, one or two episodes a month, and I said, you know, I don't care if in some ways, I don't care if nobody's watching or listening. I, The fact that I've been able to have an awesome conversation and learn from somebody, uh, I'm learning. Like, I'm learning. And so it's each, each interview is like a little bit of inspiration along the way that then finally kind of said, you know what, I want to do something entrepreneurial. And I really think I've had this really great collection of people on here that uh, collectively, in a sense, our community. And I'm just a natural, um, I'm just naturally like a connector. So like, I could be like, I just did it to you on this podcast. I didn't even realize I did it. But where, I, where you, you start talking about something and I say, Hey, you know what, there's somebody you need to hear from or meet my friend, Josh Simmons, right, the fiction writer. Uh, and so I just naturally kind of make these connections with, in my head. And I used to think that I didn't think that there was anything like unique to me about that, but, but, you know, people started realizing, hey, that's a very unique quality. Now I I, I get, I actually get emails and texts and calls every week from people saying, hey, Francisco, can you connect me with, I see you're connected to this person, blah, blah, you know. So like I started thinking, I didn't even realize until about six or eight months ago when I started kind of doing some brand strategy sessions to think about starting a company that I started noticing, wow, look at all the like, individual requests I'm getting every week from people just and these are just people I know right that are saying hey can you put me in touch and then and then this fact that I naturally do it so what I want to do is create a community where people can come and connect with one another Uh, the community itself um, is the sort of like foundational place uh, and point of that connection but there's going to be curated content and the content's going to be curated from all these different um you know what I call role models these these different guests I've had on the podcast um, that people could look to and learn from and but in addition one of the things I wanted to say was there's going to be a travel component to the to the community not everybody's going to be into that but I'm going to have sort of monthly travel itineraries I'm going to put out and and different kind of sparks of travel inspiration and and hopefully maybe I'll even Make my way into the the YouTuber world of of creating some videos, but has also tra- a, has
1: travel been like a, a theme throughout the the journey of the podcast as well? Or no, like, it obviously, really hasn't. obviously it's a theme through your life at, at yeah. various points. Yeah. It's been a theme through my life,
0: and I will say I have a lot of friends and family who really follow my travels and my and I as I mentioned before, I tr- I write uh, about my travels really, and I've really in probably the last. I'd say the last five years, but I might even go back to a trip I took in 2013 with my brother to China that I did some extensive writing because nice. China was just such a such a unique foreign place halfway around the world and such a, a place of, of a long cultural history that it was just every moment, every part of the trip was fascinating. And, and to write about it, uh, I did basically a post about every day. And, and and then I started getting really into from that point forward of not just saying, um, oh, I visited this place and I visited that place, but really uh, stories and like specific like restaurants I ate at and, you know, things like that. So kind of linking to some of those places. Uh, so anyway, I feel like a lot of people have like they really like they kind of people tell me a lot like, Oh, I I kind of like live vicariously through your travels and things like that. But I also like to try to make the point because I've had friends that say like, Wow, how much money do you spend on travel? And (laughs) I like to make the point like, I would not travel this much if it was like that expensive. Um, I really luckily I've had a job in the last five or six years that I've been able to work remotely most of the time. And that means I could also like add on days like if I'm going to be visiting a city for work, Maybe I add on an extra day or two and I have, maybe I have friends in the area that I can visit that can. Yeah, also the other.
1: Th- it's the big, it's the biggest misconception about travel. <laughs> yeah. Is that expensive? Idea, yeah. You need to be rich or something uh, to do it. I mean, it's something I've kind of fallen away from because I I've, I've gone on the journey of, you know, work with some tourism boards and my life has changed, but I started as a budget backpacker. I, I started in the $5 hostels. Where um, those places are full of hippies who who you know find a find a job picking apples for a couple months, save enough money to go to the next country, go there, hang out, drink, uh, find another job, move on. There's a lot of people with that, with barely a dollar to their to the name who are making a life traveling. It's all about deciding the lifestyle you're willing to have, and then making travel work around that. There, there's always a way if you really want to travel. Yeah. And then
0: one thing I've really uh, gotten into more, you know, I'm I'm fortunate to have a lot of friends at a lot of different places. It was crazy the number of connections I quickly made in Guatemala in the last couple of years since first visiting here. Uh, But I oftentimes, when I go to a city now, if I've got a friend there or someone I know locally or a friend of a friend, like I want that person to show me around, take me to the local neighborhood restaurants, like give me a sense of what the place is actually like to be a local in, you know, and that's better than, you know, staying at some four or five star resort um, and kind of being, you know, those places are fine. There's times for those places, but you're kind of segregated in a sense from the rest of society when you're just kind of even, even, you know, (laughs) I have this like conflicting feeling about when I go somewhere and, you know, it's like, I don't really eat McDonald's at home anyway, but when you just see all the, uh, you know, especially as an American, all the american food chains everywhere it's like oh there's a tgi fridays or there's like you know it's like but i really try to avoid those places um i i you know i know that being somewhere in guatemala for an extended period of time i will definitely go to some american place i went to walmart yesterday by the way so, but you know you have to go get some uh, some groceries and things but uh but it's it's the uh, it's trying to get that local authentic experience you know
1: when when I when I was very new on YouTube I, and and even before I was doing YouTube, I I, I like to go to McDonald's in every country I would visit, uh, n- not like frequently, but just at least once to see what was different. Like in uh, in India, for example, they don't eat beef, so you don't have beef burgers. They have their chicken burgers, and they have uh, mm. some kind of weird shake fries, where they they sell fries with the saw so- with the seasoning they shake on top, and they shake it up in a bag and. I'd never seen that before. And in South Korea, they have they have uh, McDonald's with uh, uh, bulgogi, which is like the Korean style meat instead of just the typical beef. And you start to notice all these differences. Um, <laughs> so I thought it'd be funny to like go to all the McDonald's and make a video about that and like show all of them. But I did one in Vietnam and then I... <laughs> had some comments and people are like, why are you going to McDonald's? You're in like yeah. Vietnam, man. Oh. So I, guess everybody, I guess I lost my nerve and I never like fully committed to that idea. But in the back of my head, I'm still like, hmm, maybe I should make a McDonald's channel one day.
0: Well, uh, maybe I'll do a video of this, but everybody tells me, uh, that apparently there's a particular McDonald's here in Guatemala city. I think it's in Guatemala. City. maybe it's in Antigua somewhere in Guatemala that, uh, is like the best McDonald's. Like It's like the best McDonald's you've ever been to. So I'm going to have to find it and and visit it and, and report my findings. But, uh, well, but the maybe other... that
1: may Just not to make this all about McDonald's, but maybe that's the place we went to on my trip when I was young. Because I remember when we went to McDonald's, they served us. You didn't get your food at the table. You order and then you sit down and they bring it out to you. And they're mm-hmm. like, do you want ketchup, sir? And they come back and give you like ketchup packages. Yeah. So I don't know if that's all over Guatemala or if we just had the lucky one, but I remember oh. the McDonald's in, in Guatemala having very good service.
0: Yeah. And, and it's going to be weird now to actually try to understand what it's normally like because, uh, you know, with COVID and everything, like I went yeah. to a Pollo Campero the other day, right? It's a local fast food oh, chain. Oh, I know here. that place
1: too. Yeah. It's great.
0: <laughs> and, you know, you walk in and you got the, the automatic, um, you know, uh, Temperature check that you just walk up to, and by the way, when I went into the Oakland Mall the other day here in Guatemala City, yeah, I'm expecting like every place you go now, right? It's either like they're checking your wrist or they're checking your head, where um, there's an automated thing you walk up to and it tells you your temperature. And I was expecting it, and the the security guy at the mall just told me, "Oh, just keep walking." And I thought, "Wow, they're letting all these people into a mall without checking." And then I walked about 30 feet, and this big screen up there says like temperature, you know, BN or something, something like that, wow. you know? So I was like, Oh wow. So I don't even have to like, like
1: this thing was just monitoring me as I was walking by it. Um, so do, do you feel like they're doing pretty good at making it like, uh, do you feel like Guatemala is a viable travel destination right now? Like what's it, what's it been like? Yeah, I think
0: so. Um, things are from what I can tell pretty open. Um, there's a is a pretty intense mask policy um, everywhere, uh, including walking outside, which uh, coming from Florida, where it's like the opposite right now yeah. uh, that, you know, uh, I did have to get my first covid test uh, 72 hours before traveling, which was not fun. And I won't repeat what actually happened to me, but I actually uh, in detail, but I actually passed out uh, and, and I was doing oh, a drive. No. I was doing a drive through test. So that was not good. Luckily, the, uh, one of the guards there, this was in Orlando, uh, saw that I was not well and told me to put my car in park. Uh, so anyway, uh, I guess 30 seconds later or so I came to, and I was fine, but it was, a it was, it was not fun situation. Oh man. So I'm not looking for my, look forward to my second COVID test because now the United States is requiring, um, you know, COVID tests to come back. And for reentry. I, yeah. And I'm going to basically come back every 90 days because, uh, based on the tourist visa here, you need to leave the country for 24 hours, which was interesting because I ran into somebody here at the university um, that I've known for a few years. He left for like 36-hour trip to Texas. He had to get a COVID test in Guatemala before going to Texas. But because his trip was so short, uh, he didn't have to get a new one to come back. And I thought that was interesting. Um, But anyway, uh, so, but no, but other than that, you know, people... Are going to work they're doing the thing there's still a lot of people working remotely um yeah. and things like that but but i think it's a it's a fine place i haven't gotten out of guatemala city since coming here yet i've only been here 10 days but i do plan to go to antigua and to call and some other places in the country and uh i'll, I'll take some uh, some videos for you daniel and uh uh, and, and and I just called you Daniel again uh, for your. That's mind. all good.
1: <laughs> I'll tell t- I'll tell you I'll tell you one more interesting thing that I, I noticed on my trip to Mexico, and then, uh, well, we can we can leave the COVID stuff behind because it's yes. it's it's, it's the only it's like the only thing people talk about these days. But it's it's so hard to avoid, isn't it? Because it's connected to everything. But uh, when when I did took did take that trip down to the Pueblo Magico, Teotiztlan, um, I found it very interesting how. You know, living through the pandemic in one country, things are obviously being done one way. And you, you, under, you, have a, under, you have an understanding that other places are treating it differently. Like you hear in the news, oh, this place is open. This place is closed. Oh, this place is really closed. You, you hear about it. But it's not until you actually move somewhere and you experience it that you, you as you alluded to with the masks on the street, you're like, oh, this place, this place they're treating it really different. Uh, Mexico, they had this thing where like, they were really into disinfecting the bottom of your shoes. Like you walk into a place, they have a mat with soap on it and you're supposed to rub your shoes because apparently someone, there was like a rumor early on that COVID was spreading on the bottom of someone's shoe. And then the whole country started getting really into cleaning shoes. So like, that's not happening in Canada. That's probably not happening in the United States. It's just like something, everyone, everywhere has their own peculiar way of like dealing with it. Yeah. But one one beautiful thing I did notice when I was in Tipotsland, uh, I thought it was beautiful, at least, is, you know, it's it's a relatively small community and all everyone kind of like knows the mayor and all the town leaders. Like as the cases started to go up, I didn't see this, but I heard it from someone. They all just met together in the town square and just had a big discussion about like, so what what should we do? Should we like, should we close the highway and like restrict visits from Mexico City? Should we, you know, should we close the restaurants down? What should we do? And everyone just met together and like talked it out and determined like they actually ended up doing a restricted alcohol sale to stop the tourism coming in. But I just thought that was really interesting how like you can have this community. It's like, I don't know, 10,000 people live there. And then all, everyone just kind of meets in the center and like has a discussion and they figure out what policy they're going to have. Whereas here, I think a lot of the problems we have is just, you know, the politicians make something up and half the country loves it, half of them hate it, and everyone's yelling all the time. The idea that everyone can actually meet and discuss it, it's like, wow, like you guys are on a whole different level down here.
0: Yeah, that, that is interesting. Um, well, Dan, uh, one of the one of the other things I want to say about that community, I, was, I said to travel, but also I'm starting to yeah. a- sort of a book club with it too, a book of the month club, because I really yeah. feel like what, what you alluded to earlier with travel and with books, and you can take that extension to reading books or writing books, but uh, they really, it really does open the mind and it does like take you to a different place, a different world. And one of the things I'm hoping my community will do uh, is give people new ideas to consider and mm. and new ways of thinking about how to do things, whether it's with their own you know, just their own personal life or, or something professional, maybe something entrepreneurial that they can learn from other people, uh, get new ideas from books, but also uh, traveling opens up new experiences. And a couple times a year, my plan is to have some, uh, some group trips for people in the community, because I also feel like you learn a lot about people or from people when you're traveling with them as well. And, um, and you get like experiencing a new place with someone um, kind of brings you like a closer bond. And I can think of my 12 friends in that we went to Mexico City. Uh, some of some of us knew each other and some of us didn't. They were sort of extensions of the group. Uh, but we're we all actually still to this day have a group text message from a trip over a year and a half ago. And now that they've discovered I'm in Guatemala, they they've all like, let's all go to Guatemala and visit Francisco, right? We'll see if that happens. <laughs> but but uh but I think it's that bond of we discovered these places together we have these memories together and and i think that's what i'm trying to do with the community too is actually make it a community where it'll be online and we'll have some virtual events as well but also hopefully have some things together in person as well especially when things start opening up
1: i, th- I think it's i think it's a great idea um, i mean it all it all it all comes back to community and it's it's something that People are craving more than ever because, you know, as as nice it is, as it is to have the Zoom calls and you can, you know, keep on touch. There's nothing like real life, right? It's right. And everyone is starved for real interaction right now. So I think when when, when things do open up, it's going to open up in a big way. And uh, I think travel will rebound in a big way. I think live events and, and everything and group tours, I think we could be coming up to a golden age period. We, we, we just need to realize that like, you know, after the darkness, when it, when it, when it becomes light again, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great time for everyone. And
0: yeah, well, the travel industry, obviously there's been some hurt in it and a lot of yeah. things you kind of, I feel like we've been sitting on this precipice for a while of, of what like people are like, got some angst. They want to get out. They want to, they want to travel. They want to see some, some things. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's some opportunity uh, there um, I noticed... so I, I'm just. I know we've been talking a lot longer than we anticipated, but uh, this has been enjoyable for me, um, and I hope for our audience. Uh, but uh, so I just want to ask you a couple last things. Sure. And um, one of the, um, I know that one, one in one of the last couple videos you made. Uh, first of all, I know Canada has went pretty locked down uh, in the last couple months. My mom yeah. actually said to me uh, uh, this morning. I I told her I was I was going to be uh, interviewing you, and she said, because of my amazing experience in Montreal, and because I shared it with so many people in in 2019, they've my parents have actually been wanting to go to Montreal, right? <laughs> and my mom said, uh, she's got some friends down at you know we get a lot of Canadians down in South Florida, particularly where she lives, and the snowbirds. Yeah, they come, and one of her friends that's on her one of her little tennis leagues. Uh, hasn't been able to come because she likes to drive, and you're not allowed to drive across the border. And she needs her car for an extended period of time there. Um, I don't know if I don't know if uh, flights have opened up between. I think they have, but the um, but anyway, she wants to visit uh, Montreal, and <laughs> and she said, "Can can you ask them when do you think Montreal will reopen for for Americans?" <sighs>
1: Oh my God! Well, I hope that we open for Canadians too first because it's pretty. <laughs> <clears throat> it's pretty rough up here at the moment. Uh, the I, I mean, as you know, uh winter up here is pretty serious business. like winter everything shuts down anyway. so to keep everything closed during winter, it's like, well, most people are at home anyway, so mm-hmm. no no big change. But now that spring is coming and the weather is getting warmer. It'd be very interesting to see what happens by summertime because I mean, heck, I would love to cross the border too. I'd love to go down to New York city is one of the things when I moved to Montreal is I thought, well, now I'm close to these great cities like New York and Boston. And, uh, you know, with a day's drive, I could get down there and, and explore this part of the United States. Of course plans change and here we are, but a lot of Canadians would love to get down there too and keep traveling. I think it, I think it really comes down to the vaccine efforts. I think it's really, I think that's what the hold up for the border will be. Like once we, once we reach a point where, and and not everyone's going to get it, you know, that's another thing. But once like anyone who really wants it will, will have a vaccine and, and that kind of process has moved forward. I think then it'll be like, okay, travelers can, can freely move. But as it stands right now, like If, if a Canadian, I don't know if you're aware of this, if a Canadian is in another country like Mexico and flies home, they need to pay. It's one of the things I talked about in a video. They need to pay up to $2,000 to stay in a government hotel. You can't even quarantine in your own home anymore, which when I came back, you know, you go and you need to self isolate for 14 days at home, which is hard enough. But now you need to first go to a government selected hotel quarantine there while you wait for your test results, despite the fact that you already tested before getting on the airplane in Mexico. So you need a test to get on the airplane in Mexico. You go through the airplane, Mm -hmm. you need another test on arrival. You need to pay $2,000, be in this hotel. Uh, and they're not even, it's not even a good hotel or anything. It's basically like, yeah, well, it's just not a good hotel. It's not a good situation to be in. So they've done everything they can to make travel as unappealing as possible one of the things I pointed out in my video is that it's, it's quite, um, you know, it's, it's $2,000 is nothing for some people. There's a certain type of person who that's not going to stop them from traveling. They're just going to keep going and, you know, whatever. But for other people, like maybe, you know, an immigrant family who uh, they're down in Honduras or something, and they're trying to get home to visit their daughter or like they have, people have legitimate reasons to be traveling. And now that you put this expense there, that's too much for some people to handle. And it's it's really like cutting off a certain part of the population from travel, um, which is why I personally think that we're, we're taking things a bit too far. And I made a video to speak out about that. Uh, not that it's going to make any big difference. Like I don't think the Canadian government is getting their advice from a YouTuber like me. But right. uh, I think, I don't know. Sometimes you just gotta, you gotta speak up for what you believe. Well, in we
0: hope, history. we hope, uh, you know, that we get to travel uh, yeah. back to Canada. Uh, and by the way, I love a bit, a bit, bit of a
1: rant there, but yeah, yeah. To, 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 your family member, I certainly hope, I certainly hope she can visit Montreal. It's a beautiful place, especially in the summertime, as you mentioned. And, uh, well, they have the, uh, yeah. the
0: best bagels I've ever had in the world <laughs> there, uh, which was a surprise, right? You think like, Oh, New York or something, but but uh, oh, don't, don't tell
1: that it. to someone here. No, they're very proud of their bagels. Yeah. That's like, a yeah. little mean, for rivalry. somebody who hasn't
0: been there, it's like a surprise, right? And then uh yeah. you've got uh, the best smoked uh meat there. Smoked which, meat, yeah. Which was uh, a surprise to me, not as, you know, just things I'd heard about, but once you have it, I said, "Oh, damn, this is yeah. this stuff's good." And uh what's the place because I went I went to Schwarz, the... Schwartz's
1: Deli. Schwartz's Deli. Deli,
0: yeah. And there's like a I must have waited in line 30 minutes outside around one o'clock in the afternoon and it was, uh, it was so worth the wait. Um, It was so good. And then, you know, there's some really cool sites. I mean, just old historic Montreal um, has a very French feel to it. Like, like, uh, like you're in some, some little French village city, whatever. And then, um, you know, I had a really surprising experience at the, uh, the oratory St. Joseph's oratory. I haven't been there actually. You, you should visit. it's a it's a great place. Um, and then, of course, I saw a, a sort of sort of a laser light show at the uh, Basilica of Notre Dame, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, in the evening, and that was kind of a neat experience. but um, anyway, Montreal, great just city to walk around. I did I also did a bike tour. I love doing bike tours of cities, uh, and it kind of took us through some of the neighborhoods of Montreal. Oh, they love
1: they love their bikes yeah. here too. I'm sure you saw bikers everywhere, huh?
0: Yeah, and I, I love that. Um, and anyway, I've had great experiences at Vancouver and yeah. Toronto and uh, Canada is just a, a great place to visit. Um, well, one of the last questions, speaking of, of, of travel, um, first of all, I should say to everybody listening, the, I think it's the, the video that you have pinned right now at the top of your new travel YouTube channel. It really gives you, it was sort of the uh, why I went to Mexico. This is back in the fall. But right. I liked that you revisited in little quick clips um, a lot of the momentous travel experiences you've had over the years, from uh, South Korea to Costa Rica to all these places, and how it like your journey evolved. And I thought that was kind of a cool little video for people uh, to watch. And 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 sort of recounted in some ways some of the things you've talked about here in more detail. But um, that you just popped open a camera and just started, you know, doing this, and now it's become. But you got away from your writing, right? And now you're returning to your writing. So I think I think that's really great.
1: Thank you. And, uh, yeah, I'll I'll just quickly add that I think it's, it's something I'm learning the importance of now after doing this for five, six years, it's like, not everyone knows the journey you've been on because a lot of new people can uh, arrive along the way. So part of the importance is not just making new content, but reflecting and really letting people know what your journey has been. Uh, because if they know where you've been, they can know where you're going. Whereas like, uh, I mean, even even you at the podcast or any of your own, uh, you know, professional endeavors, it can really be valuable just to step back and be like, "Hey, like this is how I got started. This is the journey it's been on. This is what it's turning into." Um, valuable for other people and also valuable for yourself just to think about it. If I if I didn't spend enough time thinking, like maybe it was the the pandemic which gave me the chance to stop and think and be like, "Okay." I was on this wild ride where YouTube turned into my career. I never thought this could happen. Now I'm here, and now it all stopped. But is this where I even wanted to be? Like, did I even want to be a YouTuber, or did I did I fall into this through writing, which was always my first passion? And if that's the case, how can I make writing more of the, you know, more of the uh, ecosystem that I'm building here under the new travel? So. Yeah. In many ways, what I'm doing right now is a terrible choice financially because instead of making videos, which make money, I'm spending like a year focused on this book, which uh, it has been delayed and delayed, but it's getting me back to the, the core idea of why I started. And that's that's a powerful thing.
0: Well, you know, I know none, none of us like the pandemic and what happened with it, but one of the maybe benefits of it for a lot of people who had the luxury to, to have this benefit uh, was the was the worldwide pause, right? That you just said, yeah. we are living in a 24-7 fast-paced news cycle. Twitter, I mean, we're always just looking at our phones, you know, whatever it is. Um, and we just, we all, you know, not all, but a lot of us had the opportunity to to pause and reflect. And, and uh, you know, I just left my employer a few weeks ago. I left a steady paycheck, a nice paycheck. Oh, wow. To, to come here to Guatemala and start this business, and also to teach at this university, um, and, and do all these things. And I told my 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 boss, I said, you know, uh, I love this job. I've had incredible experiences the last four years. Yeah. And but I said, to be honest with you, if it wasn't for the pandemic, I would have never thought uh, about doing something else. It because I wasn't. I'm always traveling for work. And if I'm not traveling, I'm preparing for the next meetings I'm going to, or you know whatever it is, I'm always. Super, and not not that I like didn't keep myself busy. I mean, I still had a lot of work and things to do, but um, I when you took away that every two weeks getting on a plane somewhere for a few days, and and gave me that time back in my life, and um, and even those sort of morning walks I started doing because I wanted to get out of the house before I started my remote work day. You know, just sitting yep. in front of a computer. Uh, I started thinking more. I started reading more books, and I actually had somebody um, who was a supporter of my organization that I worked for send me an email when I was asking him a question about something. And I said, hey, uh, because of the, I started the, the email with because of the uh, wor- sort of um, the time I'm, I'm now spending more at home, I'm doing a little more deeper dive into the database. And I saw this person that I think you might know because I work with a lot of donors. Um, just the way I started that that email that said, um, you know, with the time I have now, he said to me, Francisco, I've been observing you, and with the time you have now, you need to turn yourself into an entrepreneur. <laughs> and that email really jarred me back and said, I've actually kind of been thinking about some of these things in the back of my head, right? Um, but to have somebody kind of recognize that somebody who I thought was also a very successful person. I said, wow, maybe I should think about this. And that's what led me on the journey. And because COVID and the shutdowns and the travel pauses lasted so long, I was actually able to take the time to think about all these things I'm doing and how can
1: I turn it into a business? So, look, we're you, in the took, early... you took the moment of pause to reflect and yeah. to find the right path forward.
0: Yeah, just to go back to your point, I mean, you had that opportunity to pause as well and reflect. And I think that's something a lot of us can do a lot more often is, is reflect. Um, one last thing I want to hear, uh, like have our audience uh, hear from you about, yeah. uh, We, I mean, I could be talking to you for a few more hours. I've actually got loads more questions that we didn't get to. But one of the things I think that's a recurring thing uh, for people who travel is, is the experiences of meeting new people, seeing different cultures, seeing how people do things, Without the prism of somebody else 's camera, even a youtuber right actually going there <laughs> um, and um, I saw that you wrote somewhere on one of your websites uh, you said uh, despite all the numbers you get, despite all the the fact that this has turned into a job for you, you said your deepest belief is that is there are good people all over the world, and travel can bring us all together and you added my life's mission is to share this message. So I wanted to ask you if you could just um, embellish upon that a little bit. And do you still feel this as your life mission?
1: Yes, I do. Uh, th- and thank you, thank you for bringing that up. It's, 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 it's one of the things that only uh, speaking. Speaking of like taking a pause, you you really do need to pause sometimes and ask yourself like what you really want to be doing. Because you get on this treadmill of a job and and then suddenly something is working. But is it working for other people or is it working for you? Or like what's actually going on here? So I always try to remind myself why I actually started wanting to travel or make videos or write posts in the first place. And it goes back to that belief that travel is a force for good and travel will always be a force for good. Uh, and, you know, that's probably why 2020 was so, such a crazy year for me because suddenly it was like, oh, traveling is not a good thing anymore because <laughs> it's part of the problem here. But generally speaking, I think the more we can expose ourselves to other people and other cultures, the more we can understand that we've been told a lie. Like through the newspapers, through the stories that people share, like we've been told the idea that most of the world is dangerous or not a good place to live or, uh, people from other countries, you know, they just all want to get to America or they all just want to, I don't know. Like, but the more you travel, the more you realize there's beautiful places everywhere. There's places with honest people and decent people and hardworking people. And everyone loves their kids and everyone loves to, you know, go watch a sports game on the weekend or call their mom or celebrate the holidays with family. Like, the human experience is universal. And I think too many voices have been trying to make us forget that simple fact, but that fact is true. And if you travel with an open mind, you'll see it. You, you, you don't even need to like go anywhere in particular. Sometimes you just sit in a coffee shop and like look around another country and that can be powerful, even, even better sometimes than going to all the tourist sites just find like a busy place in Guatemala city or whatever, just sit for a while and look around and be like, you know what? These people are just like people from Florida. They're just born in another country. Mm -hmm. And if you can remember that it can change the way you travel and it can change the way you live. Um, I, I have more, I have a much better understanding now of like new immigrants to Canada, what it's like coming to another country and, you know, maybe people are acting weird or they don't know how to respond to a situation. Well, I didn't know how to respond to Mexico City at first either, you know? Like, you you put yourself in other people's shoes. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I could go on, but that's a little bit of why I think travel's a great thing. It teaches you compassion for other people. It broadens your horizons. And it, um, yeah, it's just the antidote to all that Negativity and all that nonsense you read about in the paper sometimes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dan, this has been a fantastic conversation. Probably one of the longer interviews I've had, but I think well worth it. And, uh, you know, I want to thank you for sharing your passion um, with us, with the world, because, uh, you know, first of all, like I said at the top of this, uh, there's places that I've gone, maybe I would have gone anyway, but it's like your videos made me a little more comfortable and it just gave me a little bit of what to expect. Um, and they've just been like, like very authentic, and that's what I think I really appreciated. So I'm glad that it's you're you're continuing your life mission with it. Uh, we will hopefully have an explosion of travel again once the world gets back to some level of normal. Fingers
1: crossed. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. But uh, I want to thank you for being an agent of innovation uh, in this sphere, especially. And uh, and Dan, for those listening to your uh, podcast and your uh, YouTube channels, I want to say we will see you. On the road.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Francisco. It's been awesome being here. Thank you. Let's do it again sometime. For sure.
2: I guess you're going. I guess I'll stay. Don't worry about lonesome. He'll find his way. Back in my heart. His bed's still made. I guess you're going I guess we'll stay I guess I'm laying Down again There's no use moving The law settles in Let it be my covers Let it be my friends she'll lie down with me until she leaves with him Let her be my covers, let her be my friend, she'll lie down with me until she leaves again. She'll lie down with me until she leaves again.